Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I am Matt. I am Ashley. And Gus is with us. Hello, Gus. Hey, so glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we're here uh, with another episode of our 31 Days of Halloween series, where every day in October we talk about a movie that falls into the uh, horror or suspense or thriller or mystery genre. And today's movie is Hellraiser. And Gus is going to tell us about it. Okay. So Hellraiser is based on the novella, The Hellbound Heart, by the great horror maestro Clive Barker. Clive Barker is one of the most interesting uh, figures in history, in, in, in horror history, because uh, he started off with this with these series of short stories called the Books of Blood that really swept through the world, and he became one of the first openly um, gay horror icons for the t- for to actually be outspoken and also be very adamant in terms of the work he does in the United Kingdom. And so the work in terms of the stuff he writes about in the Books of Blood and the Hellbound Heart and other things is very adamant about how he feels about society in general. And it really comes through in the film a lot because the film is truly about what does it mean to actually understand the depths of desire and pleasure and what are and what are we as humans willing to do when we're faced with that challenge of what do we really want in our desires, in our passion. And so the film sets out with understanding about Frank Cotton. And Frank Cotton is a hedonist who is it was tired of the human existence. He's tired of living life like an everyday person. He wants to seek pleasures beyond what he has or what the what, what earthly realms can offer. And he's heard this rumor about this box, this puzzle box that if you solve it, then it will provide you with these pleasures that go far beyond what you can truly experience. And so he does open the box. And I'm, and again, for just the disclaimer, I'm speaking about the movie synopsis because it does deviate a bit from the book, The Hellbound Heart. And I'll talk about that later on. <laughs> but he opens the box and what it does is it allows, it opens a portal into another dimension where beings from the dimension are are what you would call these sadomasochist creatures whose job it is is to for all eternity to provide pleasure to excuse me to bridge the, to bridge the gap between pleasure and pain in a feeling of ecstasy and euphoria that human beings cannot quite contemplate so there's a bit of lovecraftian feeling within the story itself but the real edge of the plot is is that once frank is taken by these by these beings, then he he managed to escape because that's not exactly what he thought it was going to be, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get to that later as well. And so he uses the woman that he once had an affair with, Julia, who was now married to his brother, to bring to resurrect him and protect him from the Cenobites, which are the which are the beings of the sadomasochist beings. And so really that's what the plot of the movie is about is, is how is Frank going to protect himself from the beings and Julia becoming his sort of uh, uh, partner in crime and supplying him with fresh bodies to resurrect himself and to stay away from the beings because he offers something that they offer him something he didn't, he didn't actually think that he was going to get. 
But then the question becomes, what with Julia, though, what is Julia actually after? And then I'll leave it there because I don't want to go into any more any more uh, spoilers. But that's pretty much the crux of the plot, though, is that um, Julia and Frank are the main antagonists and the, the Cenobites themselves are not necessarily major parts of the story. And we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about that more. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was a wonderful synopsis. Um, and I, I know that this is a classic, considered a classic film, and I think there's a lot of love for this film here in the room, maybe. But um, oh. <laughs> I don't know that it's quite my type of movie. Now, there are, there are definitely things that I appreciated. Um, you know, the concept behind it is, I think, unique and original. Um, I thought the monsters, the Cenobites, um, were genuinely disturbing and uh i thought the, the the you know the creature work the 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 makeup work was all really good in the in the film um you know keeping in mind that we're in you know the 80s here um but it, it looked it looked good um i don't know it's just it was just a little too grim and gruesome and you're right there is like kind of a sadomasochistic feel to the whole thing it's very sexualized there's a lot of sex um, I don't know. It, I just didn't get a lot of pleasure in watching this movie. <laughs> so I can, <laughs> I can appreciate elements of it, but yeah, I just don't know that it's going to be one that I watch again. And, you know, there are movies that I don't ever want to watch again, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think that's actually a really, really good horror movie. This one, I just, I just don't think it's for me. But. Mm. This is an interesting movie. I, 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 I've never seen it before, uh, before we, we watched it to prepare for this podcast. I had years ago, like in the mid to late 90s on TV, I saw uh, Hellraiser 4, which gave me a skewed view of this series because it was set, that's set in outer space. <laughs> and oh. so, um, and I actually don't remember a lot about it, except I remember there were some spaceships in outer space, and I remember Pinhead, the main villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thrown for a real loop when we turned this on, and it was like some suburban house in England. And, and uh, yeah, so um, and it, you cracked me up, Ashley. So there's what it is very there is a fair amount of sex in this, or at least it feels sexualized. Uh-huh. And at one point, you said, "Oh my gosh, you just saw that man's you know uh, <laughs> penis and stuff." And I had I, you didn't know who like Clive Barker was. So I had to tell you who Clive Barker right, was, and right. that he wrote and directed this, and he's a gay man. So I'm like, right. you're probably going to see some some male genitalia. Well, that's interesting. I mean, this this <laughs> this did have the gay man's eye. I guess there's you know more male nudity than you would typically have in yeah. in one of these films. Um, this movie's interesting. So it's 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 pretty. I don't. I'm trying to think of a word. Gus is probably be able to describe it. I think he has a better horror, uh, grasp on horror terminology than I do. But <laughs> it's not torture porn, right? It's not at all torture porn. Um, that's a whole separate genre that's I feel more more, more prevalent today. But it is graphic, um, yes. and and it's it's weird though. It's graphic, and it's certainly you're certainly able to suspend your disbelief. But there's also a slightly, and I don't know whether it's intentional or whether just, it's just the effects of the time. There's also a slight fakeness to it, mm-hmm. um, which made it a little bit more palatable for me. Um, the acting, I think, is actually pretty good in all of this. Uh, you know, you got Andrew Robinson 
in here, kind of as a good guy for once. Um, <laughs> and uh, Claire Higgins, uh, you know, plays Julia, and Gus, you know, kind of talk about her character there. Uh, Ashley Lawrence plays Kirsty, who is the niece of Frank, the uh, the guy that the Gus was talking about earlier. <laughs> And she kind of ends up playing a sort of a you know big prominent role in this as well. They all do a good job. It's it's really good. And I this and it is effectively creepy. It's a, it, it, like like you actually. I don't think I'd want to watch this one again. It, it made me uncomfortable. It made me you know squeamish. But I got to give it to them. I mean the, the the production design and everything. I mean they did a good job with uh, making it atmospheric and creepy and unsettling. Um, and the Cenobites are. Um, are just nasty pieces of work. <laughs> so yeah, those are my thoughts. What about you, Gus? Oh wow! First of all, I hundred percent agree with you, Ashley, <laughs> Matt. That I have no problem with with your with your with your critique. In that, yeah, this movie is not for everyone. <laughs> it's, it is easily one of the most gruesome and disturbing films I've ever seen, and it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. It is. <laughs> It is cosmic horror at its finest. And I think that that's kind of what I really love about this film and why. And I go ahead and just be honest that I, I feel as though it's one of the third greatest horror movies ever made, specifically because of its originality and what it's trying to talk about. Because nobody, especially in Margaret Thatcher's UK at the at, around this time, and because of the types of censorships, the MPAA was big at the time. All these things were happening that were clamping down on the freedom to express yourself in horror after the 70s and the early 80s kind of went all wild. And those, mo- and those movies back then weren't talking about the, the, the actual – actually deconstructing what sexuality means. Like what, is, what, what are we actually as humans really desiring for? And I think that what Clive Barker is doing, and I think that what helped me out really was reading the novel because it's so much more clear as to what these beings are offering Frank and what Frank really wants is that there is an alienation behind us as humans and the idea of relationships. And I think that that's what that's what that's what Barker's getting at in this film and something that we struggle with every day in talking about how we build relationships, how we keep relationships. What is what is a sexual connection behind physical? What is the emotional and mental aspects of sex? How does sex actually operate outside of just bedroom stuff and all the you know all the taboo or just even the cliche stuff that you see that's offered to us in the media? Mm-hmm. And I think that Barker really stepped over the line in more ways than one in trying to say as though. And, and it may be gruesome to some, and it may be off-putting to some, but this is an honest depiction of how I see us starting to have a conversation about these things, and the Cenobites being such a such a, 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 a periphery part of the story, because as you know, they only had six minutes of screen time in the entire movie, because that's not the story Barker wanted to tell. They were just uh, they were just an element for the stuff that Barker wanted to talk about. And in fact, if he had been involved in the rest of the sequels that you had that you saw, Matt, he didn't want Pinhead to ever be the actual antagonist. He didn't want Pinhead to actually be in the in the movie much more than what you saw in the first movie. But the the studios forced that after he sold the rights to the characters. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's more I want to say, but I don't want to. I don't want to dominate the whole conversation <laughs> because I do want uh, Julia. I think Julia is, is such an amazing part. But I'll 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 cede it to you all to let me know when this talk because I don't want to dominate this because I can talk about Hellraiser for hours. I, just, I love this movie so much, but I'll stop there. Well, I, I actually had a problem. I, mean, I thought all the performances were good. I actually had a problem connecting with the characters and really feeling for them. Um, I don't know. I, again, I, I do think that the the ideas behind it are very interesting and, uh-huh. and original. Um, I don't know. I always wonder if you you know if you're wanting to get to start this kind of conversation and do this, you know, make these kinds of points. If you know if a if a gory horror film is really the medium to do that, um, yeah. you know, you can do it in any you can do it through any medium. But I think those messages are easy to get lost behind all the viscera that we're seeing. Um, so I guess that's my, my point. I, I, I like that there's these ideas behind it. I just struggle to really kind of embrace it intellectually, um, given what I'm seeing on the screen. But Well, it's interesting, and I might be reading more into this movie than there is, um, so I don't want to do that necessarily, but... Um, it's almost like uh, it, it. There's there's family drama elements in this that are kind of um, exploited for the horror genre. I mean, so you've got an unfaithful wife. Um, you've got. Uh, I don't know what's going on there with her relationship with with her husband. Uh, you know, uh, Claire Higgins to Andrew Robinson's characters. I I don't know whether he's been away a lot on business or I don't know what's going on there. He seems like a decent person. A little a little. Weird, but decent. But she had, you know, she had an affair with his. Uh, I can't tell whether she had an affair with his brother or whether that that relationship came before she was with her now, her current husband. But at any rate, she still obviously really loves the uh, the, the brother Frank. Um, so you've got some infidelity there. Um, Andrew Robinson's character's wife is now deceased. Uh, the previous wife is deceased, and so he's got a daughter from that marriage. The one I mentioned earlier, Kirsty, she's kind of a, dyna- a dynamic in this as well. Um, so it's it's kind of like it reminds me in that sense of um, Hereditary from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which I liked Hereditary, but that was almost too tame. I know a lot of people call it a horror movie. But that to me was just a family drama with some horrific elements. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. This one, this one is a horror movie that is that kind of has foundations in family and family drama, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it also is funny. So before we watch this, I just read a quick like teaser thing on IMDb about it or something somewhere, and it mentioned you know how kind of like how Gus mentioned earlier, these are people or the people who. The Cenobites and the people who, who summon the Cenobites are looking for, a, you know, a, 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 a conflation of sex and, and, and pain, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of rolled my eyes when I read that description because I was like, whatever this is about, I don't care. But, and then I thought about it more and I'm like, this actually is based on real life. I mean, there are people out there who, you know, like, who like autoerotic asphyxiation, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's people who seek out... Um, pain as a form of pleasure yeah. uh, and interestingly enough you know and I don't know again I, don't, I may be tying this too much to making connections that aren't there but you know in, some, in Frank's case who wanted it or thought he wanted it got it 
and was like, no, 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 I'm, I, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, that sort of kind of happens with people who do something like the autoerotic asphyxiation and then die. Mm-hmm. I mean, they thought they wanted it, right? I don't think they wanted to die, though. Uh, but that happens in real life. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting what you just mentioned about Clyde Barker and the rights and Pinhead, uh, Gus, because, um, you know, again, having not ever seen this, you know, in the last 33 years, but knowing of the Hellraiser franchise, I mean, Pinhead is the face of the Hellraiser franchise. Um, so it was interesting seeing, it's, it's funny, it's kind of like watching the original Friday the 13th, where, you know, <laughs> there's no Jason in it uh, and whatever. So, yeah. But yeah, those are my continuing thoughts on it. I, I, no, I, I think you bring up a great point, Matt. I think that one of the things that often is overlooked is the family drama involved in it. And I think that, that's actually my favorite part of the film, though, is when you look at the history. Julia, and just to just to clarify, she did, she was that she was with, she was with Larry. I believe his name is Larry in the movie. Mm. Uh, Andrew Robinson's character. She was with him. In fact, that that's why they have that's why they have them having sex on the wedding dress is to say that they had an affair for like the weekend of the wedding. Oh, as okay. So she had been seeing him throughout the time. And what she catches when she goes into his room when they first go to the house is that feeling that that you that, that euphoric feeling that she hasn't felt since then, like that pleasure that she's seeking. Because and again, the book is more clear on this than what they do in the movie. But there's a lot of pain involved in the kind of sex that she has with Frank. Um, so again, so again, it goes back to this whole element of that. She feels as though there's a liberating force with Frank, and to achieve that, it is—I mean—it's it's quite a statement to make that that's what Barker is saying. That there's there are people, and I think you said it best, Matt, that there are people who feel as though it's taboo to go out and seek the pleasures that they really want, mm-hmm. that they really feel like these are things they really need to make themselves feel a certain way. Now, some of them go and they don't like the way it feels, <laughs> and they move away from it. And there's some issues with that in the future, but there are some people who are involved in these kinds of fetishes, these kinds of things that they don't want them to be taboo. They want them to be a part of the the, the, the dominant sexual narrative in our society. And so, yeah, Julia's character and her character arc is so fascinating to look at. And it is creepy. It is incredibly disturbing how they interact with each other, her and Andrew Robinson. Mm-hmm. Like, like she's just putting up with him even before she knows Frank is still alive. She's still just putting up with him. And Andrew Robinson has this kind of neurotic approach to her where he knows that there's something wrong, but he doesn't want to directly address it. <laughs> so I just find that so fascinating how they, how Barker played these characters in the film. Yeah, I, I will. I will say this and that I know that it is a very off putting film. <laughs> in terms of the gruesome nature, the graphic violence is incredible, especially for 87. That is, it is an incredibly mm-hmm. graphic film. I'm really surprised that it made it uh, the, the way it did, <laughs> that mm-hmm. it didn't get cut to pieces. But just a little backstory on that is that Barker actually got all that done himself. Like one of his other movies from the Books of Blood that he wrote called Rawhead Rex, which is another, <laughs> another film. I don't know if y'all seen that. I've heard, also, I've heard of Rawhead Rex. Yeah. It's also a sexual allegory if you read the story and what it's about and what Rawhead Rex, the monster, actually looks like is a is a male penis. 
in the story. But in the movie version, it turns into a whole nother goofy monster movie. Barker got upset about it and said, I will never have my, 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 the stories I wrote made again without me directing them. And huh. so he goes and actually gets Hellraiser made from his own finan- financing independent film. And he directed it and wrote it and directed it himself. And that was the first thing he did. So I just wanted to put that in there and that he let something of his get made that was trying to make a similar statement in the past in 1984 and it got screwed over. So he decided to say, okay, now I'm going to say what I really want to say. Now that I got the financing to make Hellraiser. So, yeah. but it is, yeah, it's not an easy film to enjoy and it's not an easy film to like. But for me, for somebody to me that actually, I do like asking those questions about humans and our desires, our emotions, our physical desires. I'm really interested in that kind of stuff. And so this film really just kind of hit me like, wow. And then mm-hmm. reading the book, it was like, so yeah, I just this this movie I would call this movie an absolute masterpiece. Oh, wow. <laughs> in every word, I just ever from from the second it cuts on to the final credit rolling, I don't think there's any frame in this movie that's not crucial and great. I just love this film from top to bottom. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I know a question I have, and maybe there's nothing behind this, but I was just kind of curious. So when I was watching it. You know, and, and I will say this, I didn't look up the cast or anything before we watched it because I kind of wanted to go in as cold as I could. But when we were watching it, I thought to myself that, you know, we, the earlier scenes we saw Frank and then when he comes back as this like, you know, very emaciated, bloody, corpsey version <laughs> of himself, um, I'm like, this, I know he's saying he's Frank, but this seems like a different actor. And sure enough, after we were done, I looked up the cast list. They have a different actor playing, as they call him, Frank the Monster, versus yes. human Frank. Do you think there was a, a reason for that? And if so, what do you think the reason was for that? Like, why, why not just have the regular dude in makeup? There were problems with the with the voice acting because what what as if you notice, Frank is dubbed. The real Frank is dubbed. Hmm. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but he is. There was a major dispute with the production company. In terms of they wanted they because the film was filmed in the UK where Clyde Barker is from, uh-huh. and the actor that plays Frank has a British accent, but the US the US financiers were adamant in dubbing over his voice, and that was an early on problem. So what ended up happening was they said, you know what, let's just go ahead and and just add a new person to play the. I guess the best way to say it is a corpse because it technically is dead. <laughs> but you have to play the corpse version of Frank and continue to dub over and use that same voice for the, the, the corpse person. So a lot of it. So in other words, a lot of this has to do with the problems with the with the U.S. and U.K. joint venture of the casting. OK, interesting. Um, yeah. There have been nine <clears throat> sequels to Hellraiser. Only uh, a name. All the way up to 2018. Um, so what's your, do you like any of them guts or any of them sure. worth, worthwhile? Sure. The second one is an incredible movie. The second one actually adds to the, the dimensional and adds to the cosmic horrorness of the film because the first movie is touches on cosmic horror. But as you mentioned, Matt, that is more of a family drama and, 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 and seeking out relationships. Mm-hmm. The second we actually goes more into the cosmic horror to where they actually venture into the dimension that the beings come from 
And so we have to be clear that it's not in the in these two in the first two movies is they're not they're not actually in the biblical hell, like they're not actually in hell, even though it's called Hellraiser. It's just that you feel like you're in hell because of what they're doing to you. But they're in another dimension in another world, which is more Lovecraftian in terms of how they do things. So the second movie is actually one of the greatest horror sequels ever made to me. So because, you know, horror sequels are usually terrible. Yeah. Now, after that. The rest of the movies are an absolute travesty. <laughs> Barker sold the rights to the to the films, and so what they did is they took existing scripts of already did the dramas or mysteries or thrillers, and they just tossed in Pinhead <laughs> to the script. And that's how that's how all the Hellraiser movies are, except the last, the most recent one, Hellraiser Judgment, which was actually trying to take it back to the first two movies hmm. and i actually really like hellraiser judgment i don't think it's that great of a movie i think it's about average you know but that's better than the than the garbage that came out before it so yeah. it is a step in the right direction but it's just not at the level of the first two and so those so i only recommend the first two and hellraiser judgment as the only three and if you have to seek out the origin story it's the one you saw matt in hellraiser 4 bloodline okay <laughs> All right, so um, you know we score our movies uh, scale of one to ten. Uh, what would you give this out of ten, Gus? Ten. ten. <laughs> I wish I could give it higher. All Such right. an important film for horror, easily. I give it a seven. Ashley, what do you give it? <laughs> oh, good. Um, I'm going to give it a five point five. A five point oh. five. <laughs> All right, so our match the movie score is a seven and a half. Um, it's, it's actually has the on, on the tomato meter it has the same critic and audience score and that's a 72% so so our average is about about in line there yeah that's Hellraiser classic from 1987 thanks for joining us guys thank you but it's a it's a hater love piece as, as you, <laughs> you hate or you love it you don't you don't toe the line on Hellraiser <laughs> alright thank you for listening thank you thank you